0: I'm Megan French Dunbar, co-founder and CEO of Conscious Company Media, and welcome to World Changing Women. Each week, we interview some of the most badass female founders in the world to get their insights on how they've built game-changing companies that actually have a positive impact on the world. Our hope here is to inspire and help people of all backgrounds who feel like starting a business or chasing their dream is out of their reach to reconsider. We'll hear the good, the bad, and sometimes even the ugly of what it takes to start and build something incredible. And we hope that every episode will leave you inspired, hopeful, and with practical tips that will help you along your journey. Welcome to World Changing Women.
1: We were like, what did we just create? (laughs) Um, And how do we bottle this up Um, and make sure that, you know, other cities and regions and companies can also use dinners as a way to engage in meaningful conversations and are not just millennials but anybody on a wide range of issues
0: jen graham is on a mission to drive civic engagement her tool of choice the dinner table jen is the co-founder and ceo of civic dinners a national organization that facilitates important conversations in cities across the country by bringing strangers together to share a meal and discuss specific topics affecting their communities but the beauty of the civic dinners model is that the action doesn't stop when dinner is over She and her team have created actionable steps to take upon leaving these dinners that are driving real change, including people running for office, laws being changed and more. On this episode, Jen shares her personal story of discovering the power of getting involved and details how she's created a successful organization that helps others do the same. So let us start with you at the very, very beginning, even before you, your story with Civic Dinners, uh, I am curious about where you were in your life before Civic Dinners.
1: Mm, How far back do you want to go?
0: As far (laughs) back as you want to take us, just any context you want to provide. Yeah,
1: so wow, I, um, I
0: gosh, I got into real
1: community building and social impact work Literally, when I was catapulted uh, from my bicycle, Uh, I was uh, biking to work. I was working at a strategy design firm back in 2011 in Atlanta and hit a parallel grate. Uh, My front wheel got stuck and I kept going. And thankfully, I escaped with just a broken arm, bloody nose and was able to get out of the road before a car came. But that for me was like one of those wake up calls like, holy shit, I could have just died. (laughs) And um, usually there's a whole string of cars behind me at that point because I had biked that every day for the past two years. And I had just taken a different turn that day. And thankfully, there were no cars behind me. So it was almost a a moment where I was like, I really need to... um, Well, first of all, I'm going to stop complaining about the lack of bike infrastructure in Atlanta, and I'm going to do something about it. So I made it um, pretty clear to the city of Atlanta, and a very uh, avid email saying, hey, by the way, I just had a bike accident on North Avenue. Can you do something about it ASAP? (laughs) Basically to the the communications department. And I got an answer and they fixed it within 48 hours. Uh, They came out on a Saturday and even took photos to prove it. I know that they were probably thinking that they were going to get sued or something, but a bad PR press thing. But then I decided to use that kind of civic win to put some more pressure on them to fix 200 other parallel grades that I had seen uh, or heard about from the Atlanta Bicycle Coalition. So I asked them, hey, I found out about this list. Apparently there are other other parallel grades out there. Can you fix these too? And they did. So I, um, I was feeling pretty good about the civic win. I went to the Atlanta Regional Commission, I'm sorry, the I went to the Atlanta Bicycle Coalition and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm fired up about trying to make Atlanta more bike friendly. They say we can't do it, but let's, like, what can I do? I've got skills in community organizing. As a TEDx organizer in Atlanta, I can do graphic design. I can help. I can knock on doors. Like, put me to work. So they gave me this project called the Atlanta Atlanta Streets Alive, which was modeled after Ciclovia, in uh, Bogotá, Colombia, where they close the streets to cars and open them up to people. And it was just such a beautiful representation of the world that you could create if, you know, if cars weren't in the picture and if you had safe streets for people to bike, a walk or now scooter, <laughs> wherever they want. And so I, um, it reminded me of a quote that my design teacher had taught me um, in design school. It's what brought me to Atlanta to begin with. And she said, you know, the role of the designer is to create a world that doesn't exist that no one can live without. And I thought, what better way to do that than by, you know, creating an open, safe street for families and neighbors to pour out into the street and bike and walk and skate and rollerblade and whatever they want to do for a temporary amount of time, four hours, on a Sunday afternoon. And so I really took this project to heart. I ran with it um, and we grew it from just, 5,000 people to now over a hundred thousand people attend on a, on a quarterly basis in Atlanta and the Atlanta Streets Alive has kind of become one of the most beloved events in Atlanta. It's a fully, truly community oriented. They've got over a hundred partners that come out for the day and activate it from like Zumba to, um, you know, uh, yoga in the park and and just get everybody out and about and people bump into each other. They haven't seen or they'll see neighbors and, it's just, it just creates that, that world that we want, that we can't live without um, because we're so you know, stuck in our own bubbles and our own routines on a day-to-day basis that once we break out from under that, we can start making new connections in meaningful ways. And So that for, I helped them grow that for about three years and then created the templates to let them roll on without me. And then I, um, after creating that, I decided to leave my job and start my own consulting firm where I could do this kind of full time. I thought, why I'm having way more fun doing this than my nine to five. Maybe there's a way that I could get paid to do this work sustainably. So I, I started uh, Aha Strategy, a consulting firm that was dedicated purely to creating um, and building um, social impact strategies and campaigns designed around issues that matter, from you know early childhood education to transportation and mobility. And that work is what led me to uh, working with the Atlanta Regional Commission, which is out of that work, we used dinners as a way to engage millennials in the regional planning process. And that is how the City Dinners' birth came about.
0: And, and just for context, how old were you when the bike accident happened? Oh, gosh, I must have been, let's see, I think I was 25. What I love about that story there is I... It, it, I have the story in my head that if I emailed the local government, absolutely nothing is going to happen. Yeah. But you found the exact opposite, that actually when you engaged in civic discourse and something came from that, which is, of course, what, what you started a company about. So um, I would love to ask about how did the idea for Civic Dinners come about?
1: Yeah, so similarly, um, through my work and... Through like TEDx Atlanta and and designing more of big conferences in Atlanta, from working on CoLab Leadership Summit with Leadership Atlanta, I suddenly started to realize that you know we can't just you know change doesn't happen in an auditorium or in rows. It happens when we get in small groups um, and and have real deep discussions, and so that we can completely understand the issue from a three sixty perspective. And it took me a while because I was I was you know, after being an organizer of these big events where you put so much energy and effort into training speakers and putting, getting them to, you know, empowering them to say kind of exactly what the audience needs to hear in a way that is mobilizing. But then there's no way to kind of capture that energy afterwards. It's just like, poof, the event is done and <laughs> no way to kind of keep the conversation going. So I kind of became a bit, honestly, um, jaded with the classic, kind of conference organizing and I really was concerned around real community organizing. And going back to what I had learned with Atlanta Streets Alive is that people who, if you give people a role to play, if you give them an assignment, even if it's just show up on the streets during these two, you know, four hours during the day or an activity partner can actually put on an activity where that's, you know, leaving a yoga class for participants or some forth, then they're way more bought into the ultimate vision And community buy-in is what we need. We need more ways to really participate. And so I think um, by rather than just letting people or the only role to give people is just listening in a a row, we really wanted to give people a way to kind of share their voice. And and so this really materialized in 2014 with two of my good friends, uh, Dar Venderbeck and Catherine Wilkinson. And we were sitting around in the living room and the idea came around like, this idea of Jeffersonian dinners. And what if we use these dinners as a way to bring millennials to the dinner table to really talk about what we love about Atlanta? Because Atlanta at the time was also, that's 2014, 2013, just after that, we had cheating scandals all over the national news from our public school system. We had just failed to pass a transportation referendum that promised to like, unclog our roadways And so the mojo and morale was pretty low. And I had friends asking me like, why are you still in Atlanta? And I was like, I love it. Like you just have to be here. And so we decided to bring people together to really talk about what do you love about Atlanta? And what would you love to love about Atlanta? Trying to really flip the narrative from like a negative to just to a positive. And give people a chance to participate in a conversation and, and maybe collect all the insights and present them back to the public. So that's what we did. We ended up having like 60 dinners in six weeks. We set up a simple website where people we could download the host guide and you could host in your home or a restaurant or a potluck in the park. And it kind of took off. And when we interviewed people afterwards, what we found is that they just wanted a way to meet people who really care about their city and its future. They wanted to have their voice heard by leaders, which is a big problem that we had to fix because technically we didn't have any connection to some kind of higher being, <laughs> so to say. So, but then soon after, I got a call from the Atlanta Regional Commission saying, hey, Jen, we're trying to engage millennials in the long range planning process and we would love to have your help in doing so. We've built a panel. We've got 135 millennials that represent a wide diverse group across all 10 counties, how do we engage them? And uh, I was like, well, we did this dinner party thing last year and it worked really well. What do you think? <laughs> so they really um kind of went, bet, they bet on the idea. And together we really built the first version of Civic Dinners as a way to you know, design three specific conversations around mobility, livability and prosperity invited millennials in to help design, co-create the questions, then built the the technology to support it. And overall, um, had 35 dinners just within this cohort, engaging over 300 millennials across the region, then gathered the key insights from those dinners, key themes that bubbled up uh, across all counties, and then created action teams from those. And from those action teams, we found that two teams helped Form nonprofits, and three helped pass legislation, and five members of this cohort ended up running for office, including B. Nguyen, who uh, took Stacey Abrams' seat in the in the House of Representatives in Georgia. So it was just like we were like, "What did we just create? (laughs) Um, And how do we bottle this up um, and make sure that you know other cities and regions and companies can also use dinners as a way to engage." In meaningful conversations, you know, not just millennials, but anybody on a wide range of issues. So that's when Civic Dinners was born.
0: Wow. So, so those first 60 Civic Dinners that you hosted, it sounds to me like you were just kind of doing this in your spare time. Is that right? Yes.
1: Yes. So it was a complete passion project and done. Um, I think we had kind of just like pulled together various resources um, from the networks, we had just you know created a little leadership team um, to get the to get help spread the word initially and get it going. But other than that, it was um, a complete social experiment, as you would say.
0: I, th- I mean, I find that there's a lot of people who have like a side hustle, and often that's like in the name of making some extra money on the side. But this really just seems like you were doing it from the heart because you cared about this and were interested. Is that? Accurate.
1: Yes, absolutely. There was no like serious. There was no business model at all behind the original, and it was it was meant to be kind of a one-off thing. But then, once the Atlanta Regional Commission came up, we realized, well, these millennials—they want their voice heard by real decision makers. They actually want to create policy change, and the, the ARC really wanted to hear what they had to say. So, there was there was a match, and the ARC was willing to pay for it. So that's at that moment it became like, oh, <laughs> that's actually might work. Let's pilot it, see how it goes, and then you know whether we yeah. What came from there was we found um, that other regions and cities and nonprofits ranging from Planned Parenthood to other you know uh, I think it was in North uh, North Dakota reached out saying, hey, we want to figure out a way to use dinners as a way to engage our citizens, our residents, our alumni, our members, our donors, whatever that might be. And the idea of really creating a platform where technology could play the role of really make streamlining the process, making it super simple for anyone, anywhere to be able to host a dinner. That's really when the business model kind of started to shape and take form because once you've got a community that's all in that wants to just engage in these kinds of conversations and they're willing to host a variety of different types of conversations bring people together then you have regions and cities that want to help i mean even just help people understand more uh issues ranging from the national debt all the way to i had a conversation today with a guy from dc around DC statehood. And, you know, we're just raising awareness around that all the way to Facebook, wanting to bring female founders together around the, around the dinner table and create stronger relationships and a stronger social network among, among female founders in real life.
0: So as you look back at it, kind of becoming a passion project and then becoming something where there was actually a bit of a business model around it, when did you decide that you were actually going to pursue this seriously?
1: that was, it was <laughs> right after I got married. Um, my husband and I were sitting, I still remember exactly the, the chair and the table we were at one of our favorite restaurants. And he asked me, um, because we were planning to start a family uh, within about two years of the goal, you know, the goal aiming for having a baby within two years. And so he's like, well, what would you do if you had two years to so just totally kick ass? And without hesitation I said, I want to grow civic dinners and to you know, really put out give him my all and just see if this thing can fly. And um, and he's like, then do it. And he as a um he really has backed this completely. He's our co-founder because without him the idea of a global platform wouldn't have been true. It would it just it would still be kind of a consulting model of sure, yeah, we'll help you host dinners. <laughs> um but this vision of a global platform really um, I had to give credit to Thomas Stokel, who helped because he runs Love to Ride, uh, a, a global platform that encourages cities and or basically encourages people to try out biking and, um, and encourage new riders. So he had already built a global platform with um, knowing that it could be used by cities to launch challenges to encourage people to ride more, more frequently. And so he understood how it could operate, how it could work. He could have dinners in New Zealand. You could have dinners all happening all over. these scale conversations, and so at that moment, I knew with his support—not only as my as my husband, but also as a as just a tech as a, as a tech entrepreneur—he knew and could see the value and potential in it. So, with that um, with that big support and green light, then I kind of went all in and first started. When I was shopping around the idea, we we borrowed his even developer team from his CTO down to his senior lead developer, and uh, really mapped out how we would build it. We worked. Our first recurring client was still the Atlanta Regional Commission. So when we piloted our brand new technology platform that was ours built from scratch, after we had pretty much you know worn out all the existing platforms that could kind of do similar things from Nation Builder to Invite. We finally got to build our own, and um, and we tested it out in New Zealand as well as Atlanta in 2017, and you know worked out the kinks. Of course, there were some major bugs, and kind of as of, but as of as we kind of kept going and kept tweaking with it and building new features. After we had the bare bones and essential essentials to allow for really magical conversations to occur in any city anywhere. And then we knew we had something that we could then pitch to um, or just make even available for other partners. So far all of our all of our business has come from either referral or just inbound through the website. We haven't um, yet done any real strategic marketing um, across the country or elsewhere. It's been pretty organic growth so to date.
0: Wow. And can you talk to me, is there anything that you did at the beginning now that you can actually look back that you wish you had done a little differently? Oh,
1: (laughs) so much. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, I wish I would have realized how long it takes to build and like what it takes to actually build a business, especially if it's like based on a tech platform. You know, when you, I I still to this day, I amaze myself by looking back at you know these black moleskin notebooks that i've had back in 2016 the same things are i'm writing down in my ones that i'm write this year in 2019 and uh, the same sketches and new features that i want and dream about <laughs> and so it's um it's humbling to to just look back and see how long it really takes to know build up the the profits to be able to then invest in these new features and new tweaks and these visions and to almost like keep pace with the vision uh because i i already see what its potential and how it can be a game changer for cities and even within companies but also just trying to kind of be on that bleeding edge of what society is ready for and what we're capable of creating given our limited resources And abilities right now as a startup. So I think the tension, just giving myself permission to like, okay, this isn't a long haul. This is not just a two year sprint, but this is going to continue. And we're going to get the bare bones and the foundation. And this is the realistic and that's, and that's okay. Growing organically is the best way to learn because you last thing you want to do is put all your eggs in one basket, build a million dollar platform, and then not meet the actual needs of your clients or partners or you know who's paying for it so we really built this intentionally with the Atlanta Regional Commission for them tweaking it modifying it and going slow but now we've got something that we know that works that we know people want that is um it's really exciting and now we can build on even uh, you know build out the features that we really wanted to in the beginning have
0: and so can you talk to me a little bit about how this has been supported financially uh kind of from the beginning and if there's any advice that you have on funding an organization
1: yeah well we started um you know i was still i still had my aha strategy consulting firm and so i remember i was pouring every, any kind of profit i had from aha was going into the development and cut uh, paying for team members of civic dinners So it was I was using one business to kind of rob Peter, pay Paul in a way, but not really because it was still doing meaningful work through AHA strategy. Um, I didn't pay myself. You know, I know a lot of founders don't ever, don't pay themselves until they're, until all their team members are fully paid and and ready to go. So, and I bootstrapped it from the get-go as, um, you know, using, also leveraging resources near me. I mean, I knew Tom, I was able to, get a developer at cost, you know, not having to pay or put down a deposit for a grandiose project manager from a company and, you know, worry about being able to pay that bill ongoing and having to go back to them for bugs. But we literally owned it internally and were able to have direct access to the developer and be able to create the changes as needed. So it felt like having an in-house developer without having to pay full price for the in-house. So being just resourceful in a sense of, kind of leveraging the resources and assets that I had near me. Um, and then and growing and only doing what only really creating and doing what we could afford, trying to stay within our growth boundaries initially until we had a proven concept and a proven model that would really work. So as far as funding goes now, we are really ready to scale. And so after five, almost four and a half years, five years, we're at a point now where we've, Got a tech platform that not only does the basics, but actually starts getting into some pretty cool new features. And we've got some pretty impressive clients under our belt from the Atlanta Regional Commission to the King Center to Facebook. And so now it's really, we're building out our national infrastructure where we're going to be expanding into 100 cities in October of 2019 so that we can start creating that exact infrastructure to roll out really important conversations in 2020. And so now we are ready finally for investors and funding and uh, it's exciting. I'm kind of nervous about it, but also just like, why not? This, this idea is way bigger than just me or my team or even Atlanta and deserves to be out there. And if we have the ability to have these kinds of conversations, they need to be everywhere. So we really want to now inject some dinners with the funding it needs to really grow um, still, you know, strategically and carefully, but also just be bold. And, and I think now's the time.
0: So I'd love for you to just walk me through the process. So if I were to say, I really want to host a civic dinner, what would happen?
1: Yeah. So, um, I would tell you to go to civicdinners.com and you could search by, you will first, it'll pop up and say, you can either attend a dinner or host a dinner and click host a dinner and then you'll be able to find all the conversations that are happening in your area. Um, so you can, whether we've got at least seven national conversations. And in Atlanta, we have right now like 15 or 16 conversations ranging from bridging a racial divide to the voice of women to even religious pluralism to more civic oriented ones around national debt or affordable housing or aging. So pick a topic that really you connect with or it piques your interest. And then it's so simple to set up a dinner. All you would need to do is set the date, the time, location. Um, dinners can be either at your home or at a restaurant. They can be split checks or potluck. Or you can even, if you feel like it, you can provide a whole beautiful Instagramable dinner. <laughs> it's totally up to you. You can order pizza, do takeout, whatever fits your suit. And then we encourage you to kind of help spread the word about it. Um, Just post it, invite friends or invite a friend and then ask that friend to maybe bring two other people that think a little bit different than them that they've been wanting to get to know better, but just haven't had the time or opportunity. So we we really leverage the hosts and the first guests to try to really bring new voices to the table and help kind of diversify the perspectives around the table. Then you can simply as the host, you will receive the host guide with the three big questions that we have and the the prompts. And so we've done the hard work really for you in designing the conversations with our partners and that we provide exactly kind of what to say, uh, even the prompts and the questions themselves. And it walks through, it's designed in a way that will leave people feeling hopeful and empowered afterwards. Because we've all been to conversations that end very badly, um, whether it's like a, total spin out or downward spiral um, of negativity and and blame and not knowing what to do. So we really kind of curate a beautiful conversation that avoids debate and that inv- avoids um, kind of that downward spiral and ends with hope. And the way we do that is typically the first questions around kind of a story of self, how you have relate to the topic and how it's come, maybe a story from the past. And then the second question is more revolving around the story of us, like our shared challenges our shared values or what the real problem is and that tension between what could be what the vision is and what is reality is what kind of creates that desire for change whether that's policy change or behavior change and and then the third question is really okay what are we going to do about it so really kind of linking people to that individual self power as well as a collective power politically or even within the community and then um, we follow up after the dinner. The all, thankfully, all of the po- all of the emails and coordination and reminders are already built in, so that the host doesn't have to remember to remind people or thank people. It's already done for them through the platform. So we send the follow up emails, and and then encourage guests and hosts to even fill out a little bit of information about their dinner, what key insights were shared, and then we we. Aggregate all of the input into reports like memos that are sent back to our clients that consolidate some of the big ideas that were shared so that the, the people's voice is really heard by those in power.
0: And for you, I'm curious so if uh, you could choose a favorite moment from this experience so far. I know it's like asking you to choose between children, but uh, <laughs> if there is just one favorite moment that's really come out for you.
1: Oh my gosh. I would have to say, it was um, it was so. It's been such a ride to work with Facebook. Um, when I got that email um, from um, the woman who runs the, the team that runs She Means Business Group, and it was like FB.com. Is that Facebook? What? <laughs> I was blown away. They found us. Um, so we we worked with their team, She Means Business Group, to design a conversation around female founders, and it was. Uh, incredible to work with them to, to see how, you know, why even Facebook would be interested or concerned around female founders. And then secondly, to see their passion around really bringing a community together in real life in cities uh, that, where they where they have a pretty large following in their Facebook group. And so we, we designed the conversation and then we designed a kind of a city activation starting with, um, they had in March of 2019, uh, we got to kick it off, an eight-city tour, bringing together thousands of female founders. We started it in and, um, and, and Austin at South By, and, and it was so cool to have 80 female founders in the room, breaking bread, and sexually actually breakfast, and having an intentional conversation around the struggles, the real deal around starting a business and being a mom and being a female in this space. and how we how we handle that how we balance our own work life balance if that exists <laughs> how we nurture ourselves and really um, make room for self care while but also in how we manage and grow a team how we feel about funding those kinds of questions that get to the heart and what i saw when witnessed at those dinners and breakfasts for that there's this insane power among within female founders and, and there there's like a this this hunger and fire and that we need more of these and so I was just blown away by the energy and enthusiasm at, at every single one of those larger events um, that we did with Facebook and it's it's really forever changed my appreciation for just even like what we've created and, and seeing others respond to it in
0: such a powerful way was was just humbling. Oh. I would have loved to have been there. <laughs> um, and then, conversely, uh, what has been one of the worst moments so far as a female founder yourself starting this wonderful company?
1: Oh gosh! So, I think the worst the worst moment was when you know one of our clients um, just wasn't wasn't happy with the number of dinners that had taken place, and and unfortunately in our contracts, we had like a number that we were gonna hit and now all of them have said now like up to whether it's up to fifty or up to a hundred and we really the and having some having the clients say like this this you know this wasn't a good fit really um oh maybe want to curl up around and <laughs> hide under a rock. But I guess it what it what it really made us do is think about like what is it that we actually offer and like we, rather than trying to say, yes, we will make sure you can host 50 dinners and, and a certain city and we'll do all the recruitment of hosts and make sure they're successful. Yes. And do all the marketing. That's just not realistic. We we can, we've learned from that lesson. i like a real hard, we can bust our butts and trying to recruit and build relationships and encourage people, you know, strangers on our side to, to host, but really the power of our platform and, and the technology is to is to enable these conversations to happen anywhere. But we really need a partnership. Like we, we really require our clients and partners to be as equally invested in hearing and hearing from people and wanting to really listen to what people have to say uh, so that they can help us spread the word and, and encourage. It can't all just be 100% on, on us to bring people to the table and create that buzz especially when we're in a new market so we've realized we've changed our whole strategy and how we approach and train our partners on how to make sure your community conversations are super successful we want to give them back the power to make them successful we can't try to do it for them so that was i mean basically had to end up letting go of someone because of the project and we couldn't afford they wanted Part of their money back, and I was just like, it was awful. I've never had an upset client, so we've really kind of it helped. You know, where where you have find pain, you really you learn quickly. So <laughs> it helped us really reshape and rethink um, what what our strengths are, where we're great at, where we can support, but where we don't ever try to claim that we will what we what we know we can't do. So it's it was a, an incredible lesson, and I'm very grateful for it. Up front especially now before we scale.
0: Love it. Um, So I have to ask you that one of your earlier comments, uh, you and your husband sitting at dinner and he says, you know, we have two years before we start a family. What would you do with two years if you could just like kick ass and you say, I want to do civic dinners. Um, Mm -hmm. Since that point you've started a family. And it sounds to me like you are still kicking ass. Uh, And so that kind of idea that like once the children come, then there's like this barrier after which you cannot kick ass any longer. What is helping you to just kind of stay on course and to expand this and to grow this even now that you do have a almost year old son?
1: Yeah. Oh man, the struggle is real, <laughs> and I'm so excited for you to experience it. Um, I mean, having a child, and William, he's almost a year old, has been the best thing for me, uh, as just a human, as a mom, and it's made me a better leader because going, I knew one once. You know, we were we were pregnant, we were in. Um, I let my team know, and we grew from two to eight like last year was the biggest growth year for city dinners and i knew that i had signed contracts that we were going so it, it forced me to build a team to to carry on the work without me and ultimately that's that's my kind of dream as a as a leader within the company i know at some point City Dinners will grow to a point where i don't i may not be the best suited leader for it and so i want to build a team that can be, make you know be able to handle the workload without me and to to really think and, uh, and objectively and not emotionally about it like okay here hold my first baby so i can go have my real baby <laughs> it was definitely a trust fall into this team and i only had like four months to really bring on you know a team i think we had like five when i actually went on maternity leave um And but we they made it happen and it worked and they were grateful to have it back. (laughs) But it was um, it was a you know, not uh, it was not necessarily like total smooth sailing, but I would say that the, the boat kept rocking and rolling and we are stronger for it. And it's it's made me appreciate so much more and the importance of delegation and empowering others with, um, the, the skills that they need to take on everything from account management, even invoicing and billing and finance and all the nitty gritty things that we feel as entrepreneurs that we, we have to do it all. Um, and also I would say that, you know, we've had incredible help. We've had, um, um you know, a nanny that's, that I can still work from home uh, and still be able to hang out with little William. And so I don't feel like I'm completely missing out on life with him and still being able to be engaged when I can and, and I want, but Soon that's going to change too. We're, we're outgrowing um, our uh, home office and need a real space for for our whole team to really work side by side in order to scale the the way that we envision. So it's it's you know it's going to be a, a growing pain for me too. But watching William go through his his growth stages also made me realize, okay, this is the long game. Even civic dinners is still in its infancy. Like, we're just learning to walk. Right, we'll take two steps forward, one step back, and that's okay. And uh, we're learning and figuring things out, and we're absorbing so much. And um, it's just that startup life—so kind of rolling with the punches and and dealing with the, uh, you know what we've got in front of us, while also just still keeping a long, long game vision for who we want to be when we grow up.
0: Yeah, I love it. Um, so I'm curious for you um, as a CEO and a mother with a baby who is almost one one years old uh what does your daily routine look like and kind of what practices do you have that serve your own personal sustainability
1: oh gosh I knew you were gonna ask that (laughs) the the real answer is I don't have any but I'm working on it um uh, my husband actually recommended journaling so I just recently got into plan of just taking a few moments. I, I would love to do it first thing in the morning, but I kind of right now I'm just trying to get it in whenever I can. Um, but just kind of taking even just 15 minutes a day and just long form writing, no intentional, no purpose, just writing what I'm thinking, or what comes to mind, and um, and it's been incredibly eye opening. Just there's just that space of letting go and not having to be, uh, not having to meet any expectation at that moment. And that's been great. And then the other thing is just I've been more conscious. I think mean, after you know giving birth, I I went through quite a bit of, of you know self self conscious awareness. You know, I ended up gaining a lot of weight during pregnancy and afterwards had issues with breastfeeding. So I was a bit I was total a bit stressed out. And um, and so I've been really focused on health and regaining control of my even my own body and and it being okay with, you know, it's not going to look the same way as it did before right away. And that's okay. And just, um, again, taking the long game on that, um, you know, just getting, getting back and comfortable in my own skin again has been, has been a, a challenge for me. So really, um, learning to love like fully self self love and self care is deep and, um, and really being able to be comfortable in that, in that, in even those uncomfortable moments. So um, I, I'd say the practices that I am yearning to do are definitely, I mean, more, more focus on journaling, um, just eating healthy and taking time to really just focus on that as well as exercise and uh, everything from just getting on the Peloton bike to um, busting my butt, an uh, orange theory, <laughs> just to kind of let any stress go at the moment that so definitely or, or long walks. We just, we got a couch outside, but. Sits under this gorgeous oak tree right outside our house, and sometimes I just take a moment to just breathe and go out there and say my gratitude to the sun and the earth and Mother Earth, and kind of be in the trees and just listen to the birds, even just for three minutes before a big call, a big meeting.
0: Thank you for sharing. That was great. Um, so, what is one of the best pieces of leadership advice that you've ever gotten, or one that you often give? <sighs>
1: Wow. Um, I think I have to, I know I, am I'm, I'm probably the worst at it, but I would say it's also been the, the biggest growth for me this past year is in delegation and, and trusting and trusting your team. I think for me, it's you, in order to really build something the world needs, you've got to create space for other people. You've got to create space for them to, to mess up and to drop the ball And you've got to be gracious enough to pick them up when they do fall and and dust off their shoulders and say, it's going to be okay. We're going to figure this out and, and kind of go all in with them. And I think bring them with you as a leader. I think sometimes I'm like five steps ahead and, and then I get frustrated that they can't keep up or we're not going fast enough. Then I get frustrated, but I think being recognizing the power of the team and and really the, the, the strength and sustainability that that brings, that we're not going to, we're not, this isn't just a full sprint. This is, you know, a series of small sprints, but we're going to pause and celebrate and go party <laughs> when we can. And just keeping that culture and the glue, I think that's the one thing that I, I really appreciated the leaders forum for me was a chance to like, just pause and, and think deeply about the kind of company that I want to be to become and as successful and as many zeros as we want on our revenue line, I want as many kind of internal bonds and times and moments to celebrate family and friends and, you know, really create those boundaries that we need so desperately. So I think the final advice would be to you know, trust the team and within your team, build, build intentionally build the boundaries to protect your team and you from your company, because, you run a company, but if you don't, if you don't be careful, if you're not careful, the company can run you and run you down. And I've, I've been there and it's, it's definitely not fun for anybody. Amen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So kind of building on that advice, I was just curious if there's any other like top one or two pieces of advice that you have for other business leaders. (sighs) Yeah. Um,
1: definitely just like sticking with it. Um, the the that i have to remind myself every now and then of the why and and going back to that core um why we started this and why this is such a powerful tool for the world to kind of reconnect with each other face to face in real life and bond or empathy and understanding and giving perspectives so it's so tempting um someone it was carla smith from Morgan Stanley gave our graduation remarks just last week at uh, the Women's Entrepreneurship Initiative. And she gave some incredible advice that I wish I could remember all of it, but definitely like the resilience um, was one and just like getting up when things fall down and learning from it. The other one was resistance because there are going to be opportunities that come your way that may not align with your vision and the boldness to say, no, not right now, um, is definitely is powerful and worth it. And I think for us, we've experienced a lot of potential scope creep down in the past, and now we're, we're getting really hard honed in and focused around what we are really, really good at and what we are going to stay focused on and we're going to intentionally go after um, so that we can kind of grow this thing to what we want it to be. Because as a tool, it could be used in a lot of different ways, from personal leadership to um, you know, CEO circles, but we're not quite there yet. So it's, I would say, you know, stay true to who you are. Remember the why and uh, and know that it's also the long game that you've got the runway um, to build what you want and doing it right, you know, using building the team in the right way, building the, you know, yeah, building the trust within the team and creating some institutional knowledge as well. So yeah, that's a
0: lot, but
1: <laughs> say that
0: love it and our final question uh, what is giving you hope for the future oh, yes um,
1: well I can't I can't um, not mention Lynn Twist in this uh, <laughs> she is such a hero of mine a hero of mine um, and I, I'll never forget the first time I saw her speak live was in 2016 and she spoke of two things. One, the first story she told was about the bird of humanity. And she said that, you know, there's an old you know, um, prophecy back in the in the Amazon that is that is almost true across multiple native um, native indigenous people you know, humans across the world that all kind of align with this theory and this this prophecy, which is essentially that the bird of humanity for centuries has been flying lopsided because the masculine wing has been fully extended, but the feminine wing only partially extended. And because of that, the masculine wing has to flap violently in order to stay afloat. But it results in in the bird of humanity has been flying in circles ever since. But this is supposedly, we're living in the Sophia century, the century where the feminine wing finally fully extends allowing the masculine wing to relax and the bird of humanity to finally soar. So for me, that gives me hope because I, I see, you know, the, I'm actually seeing the feminine wing beginning to fully extend itself. New members in Congress to new rising female founders to new women finally you know, finding their place in the world and showing up and, and, and even men demonstrating more feminine energy in leadership. And I think civic dinners cannot be a tool for these, for society to really help embrace more feminine leadership qualities from listening to consensus building to even um, you know, moving people to action and deeper understanding and an appreciation of differences rather than fear of differences. So I, I find insane hope in that. And then the other story and example I'll share is that she gave the analogy of when, when societies are in moments of transformation, it's similar to when a caterpillar goes through the process of transformation into a butterfly. And she talked about how, a, you know, a, a caterpillar will just eat ravenously and almost destroy everything in its path Um, then it will become a chrysalis or it will wrap itself in a chrysalis and this is going to sound gross but all the cells kind of just start to decompose into a soup of cells and then the whole thing and what happens in that moment is that some cells start to turn on they almost like activate and they become imaginary cells. And if enough imaginary cells find one another, then they become the genetic directors, kind of shaping the wings of the butterfly and the wings and the body. But at the same time, you have these like antibodies that are trying to keep it just the super to, to try to take down that framework. And not every butterfly emerges from its cocoon. And so, well, what we we've really tried to frame civic dinners as a way to Kind of allow people that create the infrastructure for people, you know, for these imaginary people to find one another, to you know, convene around an issue they really care about, and help really create the blueprint for the future. And as take, well as our incredible production
0: TV. team at Storypot so Media so we, um, and the whole team. We're super excited to team.
1: kind of continue on that journey, and I just have to give a huge shout out and uh, amen to the and us.
0: A huge thanks this week goes out to Jen Graham and the whole team over at Civic Dinners, as well as our incredible production team at StoryPop Media and the whole Conscious Company Media team. If you like what you're hearing, we'd be so grateful if you tell a friend about the show and be sure to subscribe to get the latest episode. Thanks so much for listening. A StoryPop Media production.